The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Patricia Raskin Positive Living, the program that brings you practical and inspiring principles for living more authentic, engaging, and passionate lives. Created by Patricia Raskin, a catalyst for positive change. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. And now, with Patricia Raskin Positive Living, here's your host, Patricia Raskin. Welcome. welcome to Patricia Raskin Positive Living on Voice America, and welcome on the East Coast. Uh, you're in the afternoon, and on the West Coast, you're in the morning. And uh, I have an amazing guest on today for any of you or all of us who are looking to find our soulmates. And there are thousands and thousands of people that are looking for this, and some of us miss the mark, and we keep searching. And we have an amazing author and facilitator and coach and counselor and psychotherapist who's done this in her own life and has helped thousands of people to do it in theirs. Our guest is Catherine Woodward Thomas. She is a national best-selling author of Calling in the One, Seven Weeks to Attract the Love of Your Life. She's creator and lead coach of the highly acclaimed Calling in the One, Seven-Week Transformative Process. She's also a licensed psychotherapist, public speaker, and co-creator and co-leader of the Feminine Power Transformative Courses and the Feminine Power Global Community, a thriving learning community serving thousands of women worldwide. Welcome, Catherine. Oh, thank you, Patricia. It's just delightful to be here with you. Yeah, I I, I, want to say, I usually, I don't always do this, but I do want to let the audience know, I have been through your course I've been through it in a group, and I'm working with someone um, I, I, on my own, so one-to-one. And it's a very, very powerful course, but this is not your typical, I want to meet a guy and date, or I want right. to meet a gal and date. That's not right. what this is, right? right. right. Yes. This is not how to look and what to say and what to do when, when the phone call doesn't come. <laughs> it goes a little deeper. So right. tell us about what it is. What, it's a beautiful title, by the way, because I think it really speaks to what you do. It, you are you. literally, from the inside of yourself, calling in the one. Right. Well, well, first of all, thank you for your transparency. I always think it's such a gift when we're just ourselves with each other. Thank you. And, um, and, uh, and, and I just really appreciate that. And and I'm delighted that I've been your teacher in that regard. <laughs> but I am, uh, even though I have all those fancy titles, you know, psychotherapist, best-selling author, ta-da. I mean, I really created this because I was like you and like many thousands of other people struggling in the area of love for a lot of years. And um, Crawling in the One was a process that I created when I was in my early 40s. I'd been wanting to... Uh, get married and start a family, I think since I was about 19. Mm. And it just never happened for me. And I, you know, I was developing myself and I, like many listeners here, you know, I was doing the best to make my life meaningful. And I was, uh, I went back to school. I became a therapist. I founded a nonprofit for the homeless. I was a singer songwriter, so I had a creative expression. But the central drama of my life was my love life, my failed love life, my dramatically disappointing love life over and over again because I had this pattern of unavailable people. Mm. So I used to, I mean, I got to the point where I even joked about it and I said, you know, gay men who wanted to explore (laughs) would love me because, you know, married men, engaged men, commitment-phobic men, alcoholic men, just any size, shape, you know, thereof, of Unavailability, and I seem to be a magnet for it. And, yeah, and, and not not to self-disclose, but I am. That that is really something that I can identify with. Well, I've discovered that a lot of us can identify with this, and it's very confusing. That was my experience. I didn't quite understand, 
But when I, this is what happened when I was in my early 40s. I had another disappointing experience, but I was fortunate enough to be a member of this group that was, we, were, we were setting intentions with each other. And we were not just, you know, cheerleading like, you know, good luck with that, which is lovely to be that way with each other, to bless each other's projects, but we were really in there with each other. Like, I'm going to give you permission to hold me accountable to be who I'd need to be to fulfill upon that intention. So it was a special group. And I've since actually heard of a study that was done in Princeton, New Jersey, about setting an intention with other people and the power of it. Mm. They were trying to correlate, see if there was um, a, a relationship between uh, a setting an intention and an outcome produced, and they were using a random numbers machine. But they learned in that experiment that when bonded groups of people set one intention together, that that intention was six times more likely to manifest than if you set an intention alone. So it's very, so I actually designed the calling in the one process to be something that you do with other people. So hence, you're working with a calling in the one coach right now. You have a vision keeper, mm-hmm. a person you've given, you know, permission to hold you accountable to be who you would need to be being in order for that intention, the intention that you have for love to manifest. You know, a lot of us are putting our intentions, we, we understand about intentions, but we're kind of writing out an intention and we put it on our altar and we kind of forget about it, which is not the most powerful way to set an intention because we want to be actually co-creating with life the fulfillment of that intention. So mm-hmm. here I was, I was part of this group, and I had the audacity one day to say to a friend in that group, I'm going to set an intention to be engaged by my 42nd birthday, and that was eight months away, no prospects mm-hmm. for a husband. And I had no idea how to do that because, as I said, I've been trying to do it for a long time. But she was so smart. She looked at me. She said, I will hold that intention with you if you give me permission to hold you accountable to be the woman that you would need to be being to fulfill upon that intention. And then she asked me, and how has it been working for you to be alone in life? Now, (laughs) I had so wanted love that it hadn't occurred to me that there was a part of me that was actually very invested in being alone. And so she mm-hmm. pointed me in the direction of, of dealing with that and, and going within. So I wasn't running out to find love. I was going within to seek all the barriers that I built against it. And I, I want to ask you something, yeah. Catherine. When you say there was a part of you that was invested in being alone, yeah. what, what part was that? Well, that's what I started to really try to uncover. And, and what I saw is that there are several things that we do collectively that actually are the kind of the covert part that wants to keep us alone. And I'll share those with everyone right now on just a brief level. Um, The first one um, has to do with what I call old agreements. So those are kind of agreements that we made, some of them when we were like teenagers. I'm never going to live my mother's life and get oppressed like that. Right mm-hmm. or agreements that we make to ourselves the first time we ever had a really, truly broken heart. I am never being hurt. I'm never going to let myself get hurt like mm-hmm. this again. Or an agreement that we made maybe with our sister when we were growing up. You get to be the beautiful one. I'll just be the smart one. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we cut off whole parts of ourselves and we cut off possibilities when we're quite young. But those intentions that we set back then or those agreements that we made maybe in a moment of passion or a moment of despair, first of all, they're not very well thought out. You know, they tend to be kind of knee-jerk reaction to, let me fix a problem here. Mm -hmm. And uh, they're not very sophisticated or complex in their strategy, but they literally serve as intentions in our lives. And Mm -hmm. our lives start to then form in that direction. So whole things will get cut off. So, so for me, what I discovered is I had a, a, an agreement with a high school boyfriend. And when I parted ways, it was such a moment of passion. And I said to him, you know, oh, we can't be together now, but let's find each other later in life when we will have made all of our choices mm-hmm. and then we'll come together and then we'll marry. Well, I dreamt about him for 20 years. Mm-hmm. Right? So this was no small thing, this intention. I, of course, I never saw him again after that. But that served as an intention when I was doing the calling in the one's press. Like, what do I need to clear from my field? I want to, I want to, I want, okay, go ahead. Then I have to add something here. You know, what you bring up is a very important point about how things can stay in our mind for many years. Because many times in programs, and I'm just using an example like the 12-step programs, where they'll say to you, 
don't see that person ever again. Just cut them out of your life. Well, you can do that, Catherine, but if you don't cut them out of your brain and of your consciousness, it's still the same thing, correct? Well, I love that you're saying that, and that's another thing we call toxic ties in the Calling in the One program. And let me just speak to what you're bringing up. It's very, very right on. And the issue is, Patricia, if we just cut somebody off because we're trying to protect us from a place where we're constantly losing power, right. we have not then looked at the way that we have been giving our power away, and we're likely to do it again with another person. We haven't actually taken the opportunity to grow ourselves into a person who can hold power with that type of personality type. And normally that will happen with someone that we have a hard time telling the truth to. Maybe they fragment. Maybe they start to get hysterical. They start crying. They start attacking or whatever they do. They start doing a character assassination of you every time you go to tell them the truth. Or we can't set appropriate boundaries because we're so afraid they're going to be angry with us or they're not going to approve of us. And we're so terrified of being alone in life that we can't even risk the dis- to, you know, the possibility of disrupting the mm. relational field. So these are things that you can see need to actually really develop within us. And one of the things we're saying at Calling in the One is, I'm going to show you how to be magnetic to the right person, but I also want to give you the tools on how to navigate it well when you do meet that person. Because it's not just about meeting, you know, the one. There's a myriad of possibilities that we can create in any of our relationships. Each of our relationships holds the potential for hell and for heaven. Which one are we going to create? But but the issue and, is getting rid of those those tapes that are so strong, so strong. Well, that's, so that's the other thing. We actually break down core beliefs. We actually have a process where we look at your core love identity, and that was the relation that that's the belief about relationship that you have that each of us has that was formed in early childhood. Sometimes before we even had language, if we were just in the womb and our mother wanted to abort us, you know, this self, this sense of self, like I'm not wanted. Other people are going to reject me. You know, life is, a, I'm, I'm unwelcomed into the world. It's, it's this very pervasive sense of who we are and what's possible for us in love. And most people who are chronically single have a very strong I'm alone um, or have an I'm not safe. And other people have ill intent and life is precarious or invisibility. I'm invisible. Other people don't really care about me or life is, you know, it's dangerous to really be seen. You know, if you were in a home or you were raised with a narcissistic parent, they didn't always take kindly to your feedback. You know, you had to agree with them and, you know, validate their self-image in order or, to feel safe. Or, parent, or children who had mixed messages. I love you, but you're a piece of nothing, but I love you. But So you're so used to that, you're afraid of that again. So you, you, you find people right. who are unavailable who give you mixed messages. So this is the thing. You could find them or you could actually covertly co-create and, and somehow you train them to treat yourself in a way that validates your old story. So I'm not sure which comes first, mm-hmm. the chicken or the egg. It's a pretty interesting inquiry. Uh, maybe it's a little bit of both. But this is the thing. We've been trying to fix that by spending a lot of time healing it, analyzing it, being in therapy over it, grieving it. The thing that we do in calling in the one that fast tracks our evolution beyond it is what is we get to the, the heart of it, which is what's the meaning you made of that about yourself, about others, about life? And then we ask what's really true? What's really true? And how have you been then showing up inside of the old meaning? So in other words, if you have a deep, pervasive sense, I'm alone, You maybe you're a latchkey kid, kid or you're parents uh, were both workaholics and they neglected you. You just left you kind of on your own. So this deep felt sense, I am alone in life. How do you actually show up that's generating that now? Because we're not stuck with it because it happened, you know, 30, 40 years ago. We're stuck with it because it just happened 30, 40 minutes ago when Mm -hmm. I just said no to an invitation, where the moment I had a conflict with somebody, instead of dealing with that conflict directly, I started to withdraw my energy because I'm assuming now that's the end of the relationship. They're going to leave. Other people always leave, so I'm just going to leave first. So we're actually covertly generating that story, and we have to get clear about how we're doing that. And inside the deeper truth, identify the new ways of showing up that are going to generate a different story. And that's usually an extremely easy course correct, easy, 
subtle course correct. We just haven't ever seen it. So in other words, in the moment of conflict, rather than disappearing myself and you know going home and eating a pint of haagen because I'm sure that's the end of that relationship, I pick up the phone, I say, look, I love you, let's work this out. Mm-hmm. And then you learn the skills of how to do conflict resolution mm-hmm. so you can deepen love. So these are all things that we're dealing with in the calling in the one process. This is what I was dealing with in that commitment. You know, I'm just going to be engaged by my 42nd birthday. But you know, all manner of support showed up. And a miracle happened in my life. I'd been, I had dated a man six years earlier who for years I thought of as the one that got away because I blew it with some drama. I was dating someone else and I ended up choosing the other guy. It was a big drama. So I really blew it. I messed up. But I would think of him off and on every time I was in between boyfriends. I'd think, oh, maybe I should call him. And I, I didn't and uh, I started thinking of him as I'm doing my, you know, my house cleaning and getting myself consistent with the future I'm committed to creating. And I was too shy to call him, but I went to a, a church service that I'd been going to for 10 years. I'd never seen Mark there. It's his name, Mark. And lo and behold, there he is across the parking lot and I have a shy attack. I turn the other way. I walk away from him. I do not talk to him. By the time I gather my courage, he's gone. Two weeks after that, I'm talking to a friend on the phone. And I'm complaining, as we will, women will sometimes do. I'm saying, you know, mm-hmm. I'm doing everything, and he's not here yet, and my birthday's just five months away, and what, you know, what am I doing wrong? So she convinced me to get on the Internet, which she had been telling me to do. This is 13 years ago, so nobody was really on the Internet. And even the people who were on, they didn't have their pictures up. Everything was just, you know, these silly little names who would create two hearts beating as one, you know, that kind of thing. So I, but I got on because I'm coachable. I pull up about 80 matches. If I get on, but first of all, there's a, there's a quarter of a million people on this site. Right. Mm-hmm. I put in my stats, 80 potential people come up. I respond to one person completely anonymously. The next day he writes me back, his name is in parentheses, and it's Mark. Uh-huh. And uh, we went out a few days later for tea. We were engaged before my birthday. I came in before deadline, married the next year, and then I gave birth to my our daughter the, the following year. So when I did that, created that miracle, I thought, oh, my gosh, what did I just do? But, and that so I, was, but had you, did you do this before you created this course, Catherine? Yes, the course came out of that because then I went back and I said, mm. what did I just do? Wow. I've been suffering for 20 years. Mm. I just pulled a rabbit out of the hat. I just caused a miracle. It was really so pretty did you remarkable. Go back so and then figure, I, you went back and figured out what it was I you did. did. And then you I wrote figured out what it was that I did. And it's a seven-step process. And now I've been teaching you, that process. Let me ask you this. Yeah. What was it you released? What is the biggest thing that you did? I know you went through the seven steps. But you obviously changed your story. You know, I really appreciate the question. It's it's hard for me to say the biggest thing because I think for any of us it's going to be that identity piece. There's a thing about identity when I was saying I am alone, I'm not valuable, I'm not worthy. You were saying it, you know, I love you but you're a piece of. You know, and, and, and that lives as a self sense and it's very hard for us to create outside of it. And and one of the things that I've learned over the years for myself of course but for others is that the 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 desire for love what it was what it is that we're wanting to create for ourselves is usually outside of the sense of self of what is ours to have and that's the despair that's the you know the discouragement and and so you know, the first thing in, in calling in the one is, of course, to awaken possibility. And so we look at self as source, like how are you generating that story so that we have access to really looking at, well, what's really true and how could we generate a different story so that we can start to create outside of the self-sense. So for me, that was an I'm not valuable. And that, you yeah. know, and, 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 and that's I, a big and deal. I, because, I'd, you like know, to, I'd like to, uh, since this is Internet, <laughs> it's very much more open I want to share a, a little bit of what you're saying in my own life okay, because in great. going through Thank your, you. you know, in going through your course, I I am discovering those pieces that you're mentioning, and what's happening, and it's hard to let go of some of that because some of it is addictive. You know, you're used to that unavailable person, or you're used to that person who, you know, is is always playing the game. Or, and what's starting to happen now is, and it's and the other thing that you've written in your book is as you're releasing it a lot of that same old will come in over and over. 
And it happened to me. It was like three or four people, the same thing, kind of unavailable. Maybe we'll write, and then they won't, and then they will, and, and you know, and, and want to see you, but then they don't. And so what I'm starting to realize is as I love myself more and really know I deserve and want that right partner, what's starting to happen is I'm saying, you know, I'm getting tired of this. I'm getting tired of the guy saying, how are you? Happy holidays. And then and then walking away and not even finishing the email, but continually doing that, almost like a tease. Wow. And, you know, and it's been happening with quite a few people or they'll call and it's a wonderful conversation and they really want to get together. And then three months goes by. So I, I, there's a part of me that's saying, no, I'm really getting tired of that. And then the Great. way that they come <laughs> on to you is they come on with, hey, how are you? Is it, uh, oh, but not, not, hi, Patricia, let's get together for lunch or coffee. Oh, no, no. It's a whole little, little dance, like avoided. I can't explain so, it except so, you get so what I'm saying. So it's one thing to get rid of the old. And I think that what you're pointing to, I would say, is that this, that life can only do for us what it can do through us. And so right. you want to shift this pattern of unavailability. But, you know, right. life travels in patterns. I see that, you know, pattern, like energies and habits, and these, it's almost like a river. Like a river is going in a particular direction. And barring anything that would disrupt that direction and push it in a different direction, it's going to stay in that direction. We don't worry about rivers going in a different direction, like runaway right. river. You know, rivers go in one direction. But that's how patterns are, and life moves in patterns. Duck mates, and they give birth to ducks. They don't give birth to elephants. Yes. So, so in order for the river to go in a different direction, it's us that has to actually make a different choice and show up in a different different way so this is so i now i tell people this is your chance to graduate great life exactly. is you seriously graduate yourself what's a new way of relating you know and and whether you do that perfectly or not doesn't even matter and it doesn't even matter what the result is it doesn't even matter if you end up doing that awkwardly and you know say to the guy mm-hmm. look i'm not interested in somebody who's just so half-assed when they approach me yeah. good luck with good luck to you you know i'm looking for yeah. a real man yeah. You know, I don't, I don't, that's an awkward way to say it, right? But I'm just saying, but that would be a win. Now, probably yes. it's going to be, you know, invest less in the connection, you know, right. with, you know, exactly. give less than he's giving to you, those kinds of, you know, when he says, then you do, and, you know, all that kind of stuff. You know, but I think in your heart, you know, it's really just stop investing so much in unavailable people. And the moment you get that someone's not really available or they're not approaching you with a, with a particular level of respect that you deserve, mm-hmm. you just don't give them the time of the day anymore. So that's mm-hmm. what it is to graduate. The second part of that, though, is to become magnetic to what it is that you do want. And I think that a lot of us have been stuck in the old patterns because we've been so afraid. Like if I let go of this old pattern, I, I don't think then, it, then it's just a desert. Then nothing will come in. So we have to be actively generating what it is that we do desire, and that's the other part of calling in the one is I teach people how to actually become magnetic to the love that you're wanting to find. And the biggest obstacle for us to becoming magnetic has been that we've been in a place of non-possibility because the, the, the foundation of becoming magnetic is desire. Like, yum, 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 I want one of those, yum, yum. But that, but where we've been is, wow, 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 I want one of those, why can't I have it? So it's like if you're grounded in in the wow, 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 you know, the I can't have what I want Mm -hmm. belief, it's not going to go well. So you have to actually be able to get outside of your beliefs to be able to say, well, wait a minute. You know, in fact, all of life loves me, and I have the power to create the relationship that I desire, and I have an extraordinary... um, amount of support around me to help me to develop the missing skills and capacities that have made this difficult till now and um, and look at all the miracles of that life is bringing to me of support and even the fact that I'm listening to this interview with Patricia and Catherine right, right now is evidence right. that life loves and, me and, and I think it happens. Right, and we're going to have to close, but I do want to say this. I think the other thing is when you do that, you start to bring those kinds of things into your life, maybe not in personal relationships, but in business relationships, in friend relationships. Your friends are kinder. They're nicer. They're more there for you. And I think that's all part of it, correct? It really is. It's create. It's up-leveling your life across the board. 
because you want to be living your best life to bring in your best love. And calling in the one is certainly about that. Oh, that's so beautiful. Catherine, how can people, I know you're doing a workshop coming up at Omega Institute. Tell people how to learn more. They can do this online. They can do courses in person with you. They can work with personal coaches. It is so worthwhile to do this work. So yeah, tell thank us about you. That. Well, there's two things I want to just make uh, people aware of. One is I am going to be at the Omega Institute, which is about an hour and a half north of New York City, over Memorial Day weekend in 2013. And to find out more about that, it's you just go to eomega.org, E-O-M-E-G-A.org. And you type in the search, um, the search area, calling in the one. And you will find out everything you need to know about it. It's the uh, Friday night to Monday afternoon. It's an exceptional weekend. I, d- I will have several calling in the one coaches with me, too, so people get a lot of individual attention. The other thing I want to do is just offer people a free 75-minute audio on callingintheone.net, and that's one spelled out, O-N-E dot net. And if you put in your email address, you'll get a 75-minute audio where I literally take you through some of the steps of the Calling in the One process. And um, and that's and that and that once you get in that. Um, community, then you'll learn of the upcoming classes if if you want to go further with the work. Thank you so much for being on the program. It was such a pleasure. Thank you. It's delightful to be with you, Patricia. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you. Hold on. Stay on the line for a minute. Folks, our guest has been Catherine Woodward Thomas. She's creator of Calling in the One, Seven Weeks to Attract the Love of Your Life. And you can log on to callingintheone.com. Correct, Catherine? Callingintheone.com. Callingintheone.net. Dot net. net. Okay, dot that's net. Where the, that's All where the free audio is. Okay. All right. And again, this audience is national, so uh, Catherine's in California, but she teaches workshops all over the country. So do do uh, log on to callingintheone.net and do take advantage of this wonderful audio because it will really be helpful. Again, thanks so much, Catherine. Uh, All right, stay on the line. Folks, remember, stay healthy, stay happy, get the support you need, and know you can make your dreams come true. Until next week, I'm Patricia Raskin for Patricia Raskin Positive Living right here on Voice America, America's Voice. Bye for now. Patricia Raskin Positive Living, the program that brings you practical and inspiring principles for living more authentic, engaging, and passionate lives. Created by Patricia Raskin, a catalyst for positive change. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. And now, with Patricia Raskin Positive Living, here's your host, Patricia Raskin. Well, good afternoon, everybody on the West Coast, actually on the East Coast, and good morning, everyone on the West Coast. I'm Patricia Raskin, host of Patricia Raskin Positive Living, and we have a a really outstanding guest for you today, and thought-provoking and inspirational online, and and very educational as well. We are talking to Dr. Eben Alexander, who is an MD and has been a neurosurgeon for the past 25 years including 15 years at Brigham and Women's and Children's Hospitals and Harvard Medical School in Boston. His brand new book is Proof of Heaven, A Neurosurgeon's Near-Death Experience and Journey into the Afterlife. Pretty amazing book, Dr. Alexander. Um, how did you, how, give us just a quick thumbnail of how this happened because you had a near-death experience and an amazing one which has brought you back to be able to share it with millions of people and all over the world. So can well, you can you share just part of it for us? Yes, I think I had spent 20 years thinking uh, I knew how the brain and mind and consciousness worked in my neurosurgical career, and then very suddenly I was stricken down with severe bacterial meningitis that drove me into coma within a few hours, and I was... Uh, in deep coma on a ventilator for seven days and then came back. If you had asked me before my coma how much such a patient would remember, one who was so deathly ill, I would have told you they would have experienced nothing and remembered nothing. And that's why it was shocking when I came back that I actually had this extraordinary odyssey that I remembered from deep within coma. 
and that mm. has changed my whole view of, of really of all our existence. Well, you know, I have an interesting question. Because you're a neurosurgeon, you were you able to look at this at all scientifically? In other words, how the brain must have looked during that time when you had the near-death experience? Well, yes, I think that's one reason why my story is really taken off in the scientific community is not so much because I was a neurosurgeon. The more important thing by far was that I had a very severe bacterial meningitis that should have killed me and should absolutely have left no possibility of remembering any kind of experience whatsoever. And yet I remembered a tremendous amount of experience. And in fact, the meningitis was so severe that it completely deleted all memories, including language, words, everything about my life before coma was gone, both deep within coma and for the first few weeks after I came back. It took about six weeks for all my prior life memories to return. And during that time, I was busy writing down everything I could remember from deep within coma, and I did not read anything about near-death experiences while I was writing all that. So it was a real shocker to have that tremendous amount of experience when I should have experienced nothing at all. Mm. So after, so when you came out of the coma, you started writing quickly? Very quickly. In fact, I had my wife wow. a notebook in the hospital so I could start writing. And again, very important to stress, I remembered nothing of my previous life. My language and family memories were starting to come back in those first few days. Uh, but a lot of my education and training, knowledge in neuroscience and consciousness took several weeks to come back. Mm. And all that time I was busy writing down this incredible experience that I remembered perfectly when I first came out of it. Amazing. In fact, I remember it now as if it happened yesterday, even though so it happened it, before. Yeah, so it's as though it's as though that experience took over your life. You became that experience really for a couple of weeks until you came back in to this right. life. And and it well, and and of course the lessons that I learned from that, because initially I was my own worst skeptic. I was, you know, my doctors had told me, well, you were so sick, you know, the dying brain can do anything, and of course mm-hmm. we can't even explain how you got the disease, and much less how you recovered mm-hmm. completely. It's still a medical miracle that I came back so completely, um, mm-hmm. and but that message to me was basically. You don't take it seriously. Just forget about it. And, of course, I couldn't forget about it. It changes everyone when it happens. But I was yeah. trying to as a brain-based phenomenon. So I was taking mm-hmm. them at their word. You know, as people often listen to their doctors, and the doctors say, oh, that was crazy. The dying brain can do anything. So I took that, you know, and believed it. Uh, but the problem is the deeper I got into it, and then as I started reviewing my own medical records and looking at my scans, realizing how deathly ill I was with no neurologic function, there was no place for that to happen in my brain. And plus, the yeah, that's were there a, when it happened. And it that's happened what's amazing. Yeah, well, what would be amazing would be to look at a scan when you were going through that, which they probably did not do during that time because they thought well, you were gone. Well, they actually did several scans, uh, CT and MRI scans, but the more telling information is actually my neurologic exam because I went in there in the hospital with very little remaining cortical function, neocortex function, which is the part where we put consciousness together. Uh, and that dwindled down to nothing by the end of that first day. And then, um, in fact, I had a lot of brain stem damage too. This is a very severe meningoencephalitis. And my CT MRI scans actually showed significant damage to the whole thickness of the cortex uh, on both sides that was quite severe. So there was really no place for any kind of conscious experience to occur. There might have been a flicker of something, but so nowhere that's like, near. What you're saying is it's a miracle. That's really what you're saying. Well, my recovery, my doctors would tell you that my recovery was a miracle. Any doctor who takes care of patients with severe bacterial meningitis will tell you it's an absolute shock that I can put three words together, much mm-hmm. less write a book about this and discuss the deeper mm-hmm. aspects Amazing. of quantum mechanics of it. So it's totally a miracle from that standpoint. Um, and, uh, you know, for me, it's just been a challenging uh, lesson to get, get deeply into to try and understand what it's telling us about the nature of consciousness and our existence. Yeah. Really, really amazing story. Um, so tell me um, the journey. 
What was the journey like? What was the soaring into this new world? Okay. Well, it, it all started uh, deep in a murky realm that in the book I call the earthworm eye view. Um, and that, again, I remember no language, no nothing of humans on Earth, this universe, all those memories gone. And it was a kind of a foamy, non-responsive uh, realm that was very monotonous. And then I was rescued after a very long period of time by this lovely spinning white melody, a clear white light and a perfect musical melody, and up into a valley, verdant, very alive and lush, flowers blossoming, blooming. And in the valley, I was on the wing of a butterfly. And, of course, uh, not for the skeptics to get confused over this. This is not an earthly butterfly, but it was a. that's the best earthly word I can apply to what was around me. The scene is very much non-earth-like, although there are millions of these beautiful flying creatures with colors beyond the rainbow, a beautiful girl beside me who never spoke but gave me pure comfort of unconditional love, that I was loved and cherished deeply forever, would be cared for, had nothing to fear, and nothing I could do wrong in that realm. And then from that gateway realm, as I call it, outside of the entire higher dimensional multiverse, outside of all of time, outside of even deep time, which has to do with causality in the higher realms, and with that all-powerful, all-loving, divine creator of everything. Mm. I wouldn't even use so, the word God in the original writings, but that's clearly who this was. And what are some of the things she said to you? Well, the, the guardian angel, as I came to call her when I was writing it up, on the butterfly wing, said, You are deeply loved and cherished forever. You will be taken care of. You have nothing to fear. There's nothing you can do wrong in that realm. Nothing mm. I could do. Clearly, one can do plenty wrong in this realm, but in that realm, nothing I could do wrong. And it was so comforting and reassuring. And those were not words. It was the pure conceptual flow. Mm -hmm. Dr. Alexander, what? I, mean, I want to hear more of the story, of course, but now that you're back and you're with us and in this world, what has that brought to you? How has that changed your life? What? What's really the message for people? Well, I can tell you that it changed everything. Initially, uh, I was very uh, uh, affected by the experience, as are millions of others who have had near-death experiences, so that's no surprise. Um, my doctors told me that such bizarre and wild, ultra-real kind of dreamlike things uh, uh, are commonly reported, but not seriously, so I did not... I thought, well, there must be some explanation based in the brain for how this happened. And I tried to explain that ultra-reality and that pure conceptual flow and the very vivid alive and the, the way things happen there by pure experience and not through sensory pathways that we're used to. Um, and trying to explain all that is brain-based, but after several months, and especially when I reviewed my medical records and realized that the clues were there that showed me that that whole coma experience happened during days one through five when I was deep in coma, when my exam mm. showed my brain was really shut down, mm. I came to realize that it seemed too real to be real because it really yeah. happened. not happened in the brain, was not a hallucination, not a dream. Those parts of my brain weren't even working. And it truly happened, but not in my brain and not in the physical realm. And that mm -hmm. was stunning, which, of course, is why it has changed my life so completely and why I now am fully into sharing my story around the world because of the importance of it for all of us. And a huge part of this is knowing that consciousness is something that is completely mystical to the scientific community. The scientific community has no idea how mm -hmm. emerges from the physical brain, and that is a crucial thing for people to understand. Yeah, I think that, and I think there's another point here that I'd like you to point out, and that is that that message from this guardian angel who said, you can do nothing wrong, you are loved for who you are, where does that carry over into this life where there's so much skepticism and so much distrust? Well, I think it carries over because, in essence, each and every one of us is a very uh, dearly beloved soul cherished by that all-powerful creator. And to simply know how deeply loved we are by that creator does a world of good towards taking us towards um, 
um, a much richer awareness of our existence. It, there's a lot of complexity to this. The only way to uh, kind of understand it was to realize that reincarnation must be a huge part of our makeup, and that ends up uh, explaining so much about near-death experiences and after-death communications, about our our connections with our loved ones, with soulmates through all of space and time. It's also crucial to understand that the time flow in that outer realm, as I said earlier, uh, there's what I call a deep time, which is uh, from that outer realm, our soul spirit has access into any parts of our space-time here. And uh, again, it's, this is not something you can simply go through in five minutes to explain to people. Uh, it has a fair amount of rich complexity to it. I go into some of that in this first book, but I'm working on a sec- second book that will greatly expand on a lot of the message. The first book was written mainly for the general reader, and there was only so much of my journey that I could put in there. The second book will expand on it tremendously. What has been the response, Dr. Alexander, to your book and to your work? You've been on many national radio shows, including Dr. Oz and Oprah and Katie. So you really are getting this message out. What's the response you're getting from viewers? Well, I would say that uh, in large measure, I think the success of the book, because uh, although I, I knew when I figured out the, the power of my journey and, and the message that was within it, I knew the book, uh, if I put the work into it, and my wife will tell you I got up for, uh, I got up at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning for several years to write this book because I was so compelled to try and get it right. And the manuscript is actually more than three times as long as the current book, Proof mm. of Heaven, because I was writing it for myself to fully understand uh, the journey as much as I could. And yeah. But then we a lot of that was very deep understanding about the nature of space, time, and causality. And so that was too over the top for an original book going out to the general public. So much of that had to be stripped out, but that'll go into the second book. But the response has been very positive, by and large. I think it's because it resonates with souls and reminds them of something Mm -hmm. they know deep down that can be quite buried in our culture. Mm -hmm. In the scientific community, the more people know about physics, about quantum mechanics, and about consciousness, and about how little the physical uh, science can uh, say about consciousness, which is just about zero, um then they're very accepting and they're very open and they realize my journey is very powerful and very instructive about the nature of reality. And Mm -hmm. so there it has a lot of acceptance. For the people who are not as well uh, kind of educated about the nature of existence, about physics, cosmology, the nature of space and time, and the uh, nature of uh, quantum mechanics and and the kind of the front edges of string theory and other aspects of our modern thinking about existence, those people may have a little more trouble and kind of miss the deeper points of the book. And certainly mm-hmm. there are the skeptics out there, the pseudo-skeptics, who don't know anything about severe bacterial meningitis, don't know anything about consciousness, who have very little to offer, but they simply say, well, it can't have happened. Yeah. Now, are you writing primarily now, or are you still working as a neurosurgeon or doing both? Well, I'm very old school, which means you operate on patients and you're there 24 and 7 for those patients. That has not been possible quite a long time now. I did continue to see uh, patients from my colleagues as outpatients, uh, but it's gotten far too busy going around giving talks, presentations, interviews, writing the second book, etc. I do want to get back into patient care at some time, but it will be mainly working with patients who are in hospice and ICUs, right. helping yeah, families. That's, that's so important. Right. Mr. Alexander, I, what, is it, what is it you want people to get from all of this? What is your, your hope? That, what message would you like to have take from what happened to you and your writing? I think the most important message for people to get is that, in fact, thousands of near-death experiences are reporting something that's very crucial for our modern thinking to understand. And, in fact, uh, so many of those people, the vast majority of those souls who do that journey and other types of spiritual experiences, that's why I recommend people visit Eternia, E-T-E-R-N-E-A dot org, 
for both education and to tell their own story about their spiritual experiences because there are hundreds of millions of these stories alive today that can wake this whole world up when people know the reality of that all-loving God at the core of it all, and it's all about bringing us together, breaking down the boundaries, these artifacts between religion and science, artificial boundaries between various religions, artificial boundaries between spirituality and religion and science, and trying to bring it all together where it makes much more sense. And my conclusions are based on very rigorous scientific philosophical analysis of consciousness and about my journey based on severe bacterial meningitis, which really should cloud no experience whatsoever, not this ultra odyssey that I actually had. Dr. Alexander, do you think that you in your own life now having experiences, do you think that you're more trusting? Has more good come to you? I mean, as the the angel said, you're always protected, you're always taken care of, you can do no wrong. Do you think you've internalized some of what the angel said now? Well, I know I have, and, and a big part of my message is to let everyone know that we're all alike in this. We are all eternal spiritual beings, and that's far more powerful than the view that I used to have, which was that we were material beings and we had birth to death and that was it. And I promise you that that is not the case. It's very crucial for people to understand this, that we are actually all connected as one, uh, as these spiritual conscious beings, and at the deepest levels, of course, all connected to the divine, to the all-powerful, all-loving, creative source at the core of it all, who many would call God or Brahman, Allah, whatever your name might be for that all-powerful creative deity. But it's all about being together, about compassion, forgiveness, and sharing that unconditional love of the creator. And that all this is very real. And that's what I'm bringing to the table. Uh, it's just awakening people Mm. who might have been skeptical about such things in the past to tell them that based purely on neuroscientific principles around consciousness, enigma of quantum mechanics, that all they need to do is look at the facts that I portray about those particular features that appear so enigmatic from a purely materialistic standpoint and show all-powerful God brings it. Yes, and if you want to look at this from kind of a spiritual point of view, you could uh-huh. say you could say that you were chosen because of your profession and, and your your stature and what you've done in your life with the brain, that you were somehow chosen to go through this so you could be a powerful messenger to come back and tell the story. What do you think of that? Well, I think it took me more than two years to get to that point because I was trying to write it up as a neuroscientist and treat it all yeah. as an objective yeah. scientist doctor, but I think that, in fact, you're right. It's important for people to know, and I explain all this in my book, but I spent the eight years before my coma as an absolute uh, agnostic. I I did not believe there was any possibility Mm. of a loving personal God and that there was absolutely zero chance that prayers ever worked. That's how I spent eight years until my coma. Wow. Wow. I will never, ever doubt the power of prayer and also the power of all-loving God and how real that all-loving God is at the very core of our consciousness and that each and every one of us can get right into that through deep uh, centering prayer and deep meditation. Uh, I do a lot of work now. People can go to lifebeyonddeath.net to learn more about sacred acoustics and the work I do with auditory enhancement of deep transcendental Mm -hmm. consciousness. Uh, Are you going to start giving workshops, Dr. Alexander, in some of these things? Um, Yes, I will. In fact, I gave a webinar series uh, in February with Sounds True that was uh, also mm. in conjunction with Sacred Acoustics um, in terms of bringing some of these uh, exercises that take people to deep conscious levels, transcendental consciousness, um, through these audio files that we're uh, making with uh, Sacred Acoustics. Um, something else that I wanted to ask you. Do you find now, because of the way you have changed in your belief and in your consciousness, that the people that you're in contact with now are kinder, more loving, more giving? Are you finding that, that you're bringing more of that into your life naturally because of the way you think? Yeah, I think that's very true. And in fact, I think that this whole world is changing in that direction. 
I think that a lot of what we've seen in recent years, the cataclysm uh, in the economy worldwide, uh, the Arab Spring, I think there are a lot of indicators that uh, we're kind of cracking the shell of the egg uh, so that we can come together in a world that has a lot more harmony and a lot more taking care of each other and manifesting that love uh, of the creator for each and every one of us, uh, showing the compassion and forgiveness to make this world a far better place. And I think that is what we are seeing now. And I, I'm certainly finding a lot more of that in my own personal life. Well, that's why I do my, my work. I mean, my program, Patricia Raskin, Positive Living, is all about that. And it's, it's really wonderful, the work that you're doing, because it, it's helping so many people. And giving a lot of people a voice, uh, you know, who have had these kinds of stories, if you, as you've said, that may not have been believed before. But your right. story has been so powerful that it's helping other people with a voice share their stories as well. Right. I think it's crucial for people to understand this is a very deep reality. Mm -hmm. uh, and it perfectly science and spirituality can come together and strengthen each other tremendously. The little petty, simplistic uh, battles between science and spirituality were very false. Mm -hmm. So yes. we're now moving beyond all of that. And um, Raymond Moody, who is very well known, his book is Life After Life, says this about your book. Dr. Even Alexander's near-death experience is the most astounding I've heard in more than four decades of studying this phenomenon. He is living proof of an afterlife. So that's, that's a really nice way to close. Um, how can people, again, find your book, courses, tapes, webinars? The best, the best thing is they should visit my website, lifebeyonddeath.net. And uh, you can learn a whole lot more about my story in the book there. In addition, people who want to leave their own uh, spiritually transformative experience or learn everything about all kinds of those experiences, visit Eternia, E-T-E-R-N-E-A dot org. And people who are interested in the meditative exercises that I'm working on with Sacred Acoustics, go to sacredacoustics.com. And they have some free downloads, and people can learn a lot more there like about the uh, Sounds True webinar that we did in February. Okay. All right. I just want to let folks know I have been talking with, in this half hour, Dr. Eben Alexander, who is an MD, neurosurgeon, and his book is Proof of Heaven, A Neurosurgeon's Journey into the Afterlife. It's really amazing. And if you go on the website, and what was the website again, as you said to me? lifebeyonddeath.net right lifebeyonddeath.net there are many videos of the interviews that you've done on many of the major television talk shows so you can see that as well as listen to this so thank you very much Dr. Alexander for being on the program very enlightening and, and inspirational well thank you very much for having me I hope we get to talk again soon yes yes stay on the line for a minute Dr. Alexander okay alright folks remember stay healthy stay happy get the support you need and know you can make your dreams come true until next time I'm Patricia Raskin and you can log on to patriciaraskin.com or write to me Patricia at patriciaraskin.com bye for now Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.